0: Greetings, podcast listeners. Welcome back. This is your host Indra with Aikido Talks. We continue with the chapter on the hakama by In the Dojo A Guide to the Rituals and Etiquette of the Japanese Martial Arts by Dave Lowry. Folding a hakama after it's been taken off following a training session should be a daily part of your activities in the dojo. It folds into a small neat square, the cords laced together in a knot, so it will not be wrinkled when packed into a bag. Folding a Hakama is a skill best taught to a junior by his seniors in the dojo, or hers, or theirs. It is not particularly difficult, even though it may look intimidating. Dealing with all those pleats and cords, practice makes it almost automatic. The process serves as a pleasant sort of ritual that concludes the training session, and it leaves the hakama folded without unnecessary creases. The earliest hakama material was a simple cloth woven from fibers of kuzu, or arrowroot plant. Up until the Edo period, a variation of this rough but light cloth, called kako, was popular for making hakama worn through the hot summer months. Formal hakama made of silk called Sendaihira came along about four centuries ago, a technological improvement on an earlier method of silk weaving from Kyoto called Nishijin. Sendaihira is a lustrous silk textile with a soft sheen that does not wrinkle easily and is comfortable to wear. Hakama made made of it are enormously expensive garments and fortunately not appropriate for Budo except for very formal exhibitions or demonstrations. Hakama for the dojo are something of a retro fashion harkening back to the era of the earlier and simpler plant fiber materials. Once cotton became widely available in Japan, hakama-worn for budo were made of it. Today, blends and synthetic materials are all available. Some of these hold their creases better than others. If you are practicing in an Aikido dojo that places a lot of emphasis on kneeling techniques, you will want to consider a heavier grade of fabric to keep the knees of the garment intact as long as possible. If your training is often conducted outside, you may want to go with an all-cotton version, since it will take repeated washings more easily than some other fabrics. Hakama sabaki is the skill of walking, training, and sitting while wearing a hakama. It can be a little trickier than it might first seem. If there are aikidoka or yaidoka, have worn hakama very long at all who tell you they have never tripped over a hem in the middle of their practice. They are either remarkably graceful or mendacious. The method of walking successfully in a hakama or of moving around quickly and gracefully requires some practice. Gaki daisho is an archaic expression for the kind of arrogant swaggering done by a fellow carrying a pair of swords. The late actor Toshiro Mifune often adopted this strut when he played samurai in movies, the legs of his hakama swinging wide with each step. Real samurai were admired for walking shizo shizo or quietly, with the knees just slightly bent so their hakama did not move much at all. Walking in hakama, particularly outside, can be best can be a test of skill, especially in wet weather while wearing Zori slippers. Either Zori or some other type of sandal or tooth clog, geta, were the only footwear pre-modern Japanese had. They invariably flipped mud or water up along the back of the wearer if he wasn't careful. It's a worthwhile experience if you have the chance. Walk across a wet lawn wearing your Zori and Hakama, then take the skirt off and have a look to see if the back is dry. When sitting on the floor, there are many tricks. There are some tricks that can keep the wide legs of the hakama from getting waddled up under your legs. One is the Ogasawara Ryu, a school of etiquette that created rules and manners for the warrior class, in which is discussed in greater detail in the chapter on bowing. It calls for lightly swishing the left and right legs of the hakama behind the knees just before sitting making the material from the legs flare out to the sides like the wings of a bird after one is seated. Lightly is the operative word here. Ostentatiously slapping the legs with a distinctive pop is boorish, according to the protocols of the Ogaswara Ryu. The wearer brushes the inside of his left leg first as he begins to kneel, then the right Done correctly, it requires some practice to look and feel natural. The legs of the Hakama will fall to the floor as they don't get wrapped around your legs. When you try to get up, in the etiquette of the tea ceremony, there are a couple of variations on this. In one method, both hands are lightly pressed against the thighs as one kneels, sliding down the length of the legs until just before the knees touch the floor. When they brush the front of both Hakama legs to the sides. In another, both hands brush back the Hakama legs at the inside of the knees simultaneously as one kneels. This variance reflects different schools of etiquette in old Japan, some of which had influences over tea ceremony Ryu. And with that, we'll be right back. And we're back. We continue the chapter of the Hakama. And this one is interesting about the details of how to wear and walk around in a Hakama. And I totally resonate with what he talks about, you know, in terms of first wearing a Hakama and the awkwardness. So, however, I remember tripping in mines and so many other people tripping in there at the very beginning. You're just so eager to move, and then you forget. And then, you know, there's just a slight adjustment of hiking up your hakama or doing whatever it takes to be able to move and not have these crazy accidents and trips. And all of us can attest to that for having one hour on the mat. There's a point that he makes which is interesting. He talks about using a hakama in different places, such as if you do a lot of knee work, you know, last swariwaza or you, you do a lot of weapons outside. But as far as my experience that there is no distinction, you know, because you're wearing your Hakama, you're just taking good care of it. There are different materials and students that I know um have the the all cotton or they have the mixed blend, which seems to be easier to use um or for wear. It'll be easier that way. Um but I do notice a difference in the dogies where if it's summer or winter, you can get a heavier dogie versus one that's a lighter grade dogie for the summer um so that you're not wearing a heavy garment. it's a little bit lighter um so anyhow, it's really interesting, and then he talks about a square, but I think it it differs. Um, Mine's comes out as a rectangle um, but you know it, it varies and I know that people are learning to tie theirs in different ways and it's also an honor to get a senior to tell you how to do it but that, who else are you going to learn it from who already has a hakama and then there are those who are teaching in some schools they have you fold their hakama um, after the class which is a great way to learn how to fold one properly, which I think is a fantastic thing. Um, It's an honor. So with that, my dear friends, we leave for this episode of the Hakama, and we will probably continue until we finish this chapter. Um, There's just a few more to go with a little bit of tidbits. I appreciate Dave Lowry's observations and um, the history behind the Hakama and the materials. It's quite extensive. And I suggest all of you get the book and read what he has to say. Or if you have a book in you, please write one and then I can read it on this podcast. So until the next time, be well, be happy, stay healthy, keep practicing. If you're not practicing, please seek out a dojo and visit one. Um, There are plenty that are spread out throughout the globe and um, check it out and you know, get to know a few people, ask questions, and perhaps consider practicing if you are not already. Thanks again for listening, my dear friends, my podcast listeners, and until next time.